0: Of the tennis IQ podcast, I'm Brian Lomax,
1: and I'm Josh Berger. And for today's episode, um, we're going to talk about a couple of um, topics, including the yips. We're going to talk about um, serving and tightening up um, that might lead to double faulting. Um, and really, this this all stems from a conversation that I had uh, with a tennis player just a few days ago. Um, and this tennis player contacted me because. Um, after an extended time away from the court um, he he suddenly found that his formerly favored shot, his forehand had gone away from him uh, this this is a shot he, he could rely on in the past a shot that he um, you know w- would finish his swing in a complete way um, and follow through but for whatever reason after um, after the time away from the court, he was really having a tough time finishing his swing and described it as a yip that he was having, where he would almost have this uncontrollable tightening up that would take place um, right as he was hitting the shot, where he could do a shadow swing um, you know, without actually hitting a ball, and it would be fine. He would finish the swing. He could visualize himself um, going through the motion of hitting a swing uh, if I asked him to do it, but he reported that when he was on the court um, during a point, he had a very tough time. Um, actually finishing the swing he would tighten up about midway or about three quarters of the way and seem to have a sudden inability to finish his swing and experience the yips which is um, something that is most commonly found in golf or has at least um, in terms of the research that has been done uh, most of the research on yips within sports has been has taken place in golf and there's actually um, some some other sorts of performers such as musicians have experience similar, um, similar things as well. But, um, within golf in, in general, um, yips or when it's essentially, um, an athlete has a stops being able to complete, um, a motor skill, a fine motor skill that they are capable of completing something that they've known how to do. And it's essentially a must, um, a, the body is not letting the brain know and then and it's not letting the individual know the athlete um complete what what they know how to do um so that's that's sort of uh where this conversation started from um and and where the idea to to talk about yips and um you know lead to a conversation um on a couple of other factors that's really where this started and yips is um is something that i i um, haven't had that much experience with. Um, I've you know talked to other athletes that have experienced tightening up, but not in the same kind of a way. Um, so that's yeah, that that that's really the origin of the conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll take it from there. So, Brian, when we and, and we spoke we spoke off air a little bit about this, but Brian, when when I mentioned this situation to you, what
0: were some of your initial thoughts? So uh, similar to you, I haven't worked with a lot of athletes who've expressed um, problems with the yips. And so I thought it was an interesting topic when you brought it up, and I was like, all right, let me do some research. And, and as you said, most of the research is in golf and it, it's typically associated with like a, a twitch that happens in putting mainly. And there's also some performance anxiety that's around that, uh, so that the twitch is typically exacerbated. By that, um, and I thought about the fact that I haven't really been presented with that issue in in tennis. Certainly, there's performance anxiety, and even what your player is reporting, it isn't necessarily a twitch per se. He, he's calling it the yips, although right. it might be simple—not simple, but it may be anxiety resulting in deceleration of the swing as opposed to like some sort of actual muscular twitch that occurs. So that's, I think the term was dystonia, which is something that's associated with the yips and you mentioned musicians. So in these very fine motor skills, some people have a condition in which, you know, called dystonia where a, a, a twitch of um, involuntary, muscle twitch occurs. Um, and that's something that I, I haven't really heard of in tennis. It doesn't mean it hasn't happened. There may be people listening like, oh, yes, I get that. Um, but it is not as common. So what that discussion made me think about was, all right, so putting in golf, right? That's one of those. I mean, most of the stuff in golf are kind of closed skills. But in tennis, the one sort of close skill we have, the one really controllable skill we have is serving, and for sure, some people struggle with uh serving as well as the idea of double faulting and and maybe even how they think about their second serve so that's where it made me think about, okay, um I actually got a call last night from a player i'm I'm working with, and um who stated that she had, you know, she typically, you know, doesn't really think that much about her second serve in terms of its um, effectiveness, meaning it's not generally a problem, but she had six double faults in her last two service games in a three set match in a match that she was very emotionally invested in. Um, This was a, this is a match that, um, you know, had also a lot of emotional content during the match. So, um, it just made me think about a little bit more, okay, that's a lot of double faults, you know, within two games. And we do see sometimes streaks of double faults with players and, and the thing. So that it got me to thinking, hey, you know what, we could turn this into a little bit more on uh, the whole idea of double faulting and, and how do we deal with that? Um, so that doesn't become a, a huge problem like this player experience where she um, essentially ended up losing the match because she gave away so many points, right? She essentially gave away her last two, two service games. So uh, I thought that would be a good thing to talk about, Josh, is, um, you know, how do we, you know, what, what are some potential causes of double faulting, especially uh, when it happens multiple times? And then can we discuss some potential interventions that players could use to help um, you know, develop our confidence in their serve, but also um, not let there be a streak of double faults.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's an important question because I see, I see this with athletes all the time as well, um, both on court with the players that I coach and also um, in terms of some of the players I've, I've worked with on the sports psychology side. And one, one thing that I think is important to not, um, not understate is that this is something that affects tennis players up to the top, up to the top levels of the sport. I mean, we saw recently Alexander Zverev one of the top players in the world on the men's side was struggling with this where um, you know, he's had matches where he's double faulted, you know, multiple times in a row, I think 15, 20 times in a match, maybe even more. Um, And on the women's side, I mean, Maria Sharapova has had, issues especially with the toss and uh you know leading to some erratic um serves and double faults so um that that's a starting point that this is you know just because a player is going through this um you know whatever level they're at they can they can work at this and this is this is something that players of all levels experience um and yeah you, you this is certainly something that we see where you know, I from my experience, I, I often will see a player will double fault and then that one double fault can lead to a series of events. Right. That, that one double fault might lead to one or two more double faults within that same game. Um, it could often lead to, you know, a negative reaction, negative body language, um, some sort of outburst, you know, whether it be um, outward self-talk that's that's, you know, degrading um, throwing the racket, smashing the racket, something like that. Um, so it's a, it's very important when, when talking to a tennis player to, you know, try to get a gauge of number one, how frequently does this happen? Right. I mean, double faults are inevitable. Um, I I heard a great quote that if you're not, if you never double fault, it means you're not going for your, you know, your serve enough. So you should be double faulting, you know, to some extent, maybe, maybe once a set, maybe twice a set but you want to the once they start to bunch up and once they start to become um a reason for losing games and ultimately losing sets or matches then it needs to be addressed um and i think i think there's a lot of players um when they're hitting a second serve and this is something i've done as well you start to think about okay i don't want to miss here uh, you're going up to hit that second serve and says, uh Oh, I don't want to double fault. And by actually thinking those sorts of thoughts, it can, it can lead to the double fault It causes you to tighten up. It's almost like saying, you know, not to think of something specific. Don't think of an elephant. Um, you're going to think of that. Don't think, you know, don't double fault. Your mind immediately goes to double fault. And, and from my experiences um, playing as well as with play with other players, um, it's very common to tighten up in those situations to double fault. Um, so that, that, that's one place that I would start. Um, and the, the other, the, the other thing I would add is the toss. I mean, I think um, going back to Zverev, um, you know, his toss was all over the place. So I think one thing with players is, you know, something you, Brian, you mentioned that the serve is within our control and even, you know, even at a more basic level, the toss is within our control I and mean, it's, And it's tough to hit a good serve without starting off with a good toss. So finding chances to practice the toss, even visualizing really where you want the ball to be, where you want to be tossing the ball to set yourself up in the best possible way. Um, But it all starts with the, you know, with the toss. And then once it's time for that second serve, um, finding some other sort of routine or some other sort of self-talk that brings you away from that those sort of thoughts where it's, oh, here we go again, or, uh, you know, don't double fault here or, OK, I don't want to miss um, where you're thinking about what you don't want to do rather than, OK, I want to really brush up on the ball and, you know, hit a nice kick serve with topspin here to the opponent's backhand because that's their weaker side. Or I want to hit a body serve or something like that.
0: Let's go back to the Alexander Zverev thing, because I think we can examine that based on some research with respect to double faulting and unforced errors. So um, Zverev playing Novak Djokovic, semifinals, U.S. Open, and fifth set, and that's where some of these double faults really had an impact, right? And And he'd been fine up until that point, really, as far as double faulting had gone. Um, even up until that point in the tournament. So what what the research shows with something like double faulting and and these types of unforced errors is that they're more likely to occur when pressure is high. So a fifth set, later in a set, right? Even the player who called me last night, it was at the end of the third set. So these things are more likely to occur when pressure is high. So that's that's sort of the anxiety piece of it. Um, And then when you hit one, that you know your thoughts about that so sort of mental feedback that you give yourself based on that mistake tends to exacerbate the pressure on the next one so this is really how you start to see streaks of these things going on and you had mentioned you know when we are talking off air uh you know certain sources of that anxiety could be what are other people thinking like um you know that could even be around the toss um So it's maybe just general anxiety over the situation, right? So I think, as you said, this occurs at all levels. And and that's a good example of what happened to Alexander Zverev. High pressure situation. And now he's made a double fault. And he's probably thinking about that. And that's just exacerbating the situation. That's why we see these, these streaks. You mentioned about thinking about not double faulting, right? So this is called the ironic processes theory. So when you think about what you don't want, you're more likely to create that which you do not want. All right. And so this happens in all kinds of aspects of, of human behavior. We don't want to lose. We don't want to hit double false. We don't want to make mistakes. Um, and it's really learning to, to talk to ourselves in, in, a, in a better way. Um, but even to a certain extent, Josh, I think some of this is very you know, result oriented. So not thinking, you know, not hitting a double fault. That that's a result, right? It's like thinking about hitting a winner, thinking about hitting an ace. These things are are out of our control. Um, and even I've heard some players, um, for some players, this may work. Others, it may not. Like where you say, "All right, just just get in, just get the serve." In some people, that may create more anxiety because now you're really getting them focused on the results of getting it in. And that can become, uh, you know, very pressure filled and may even lead to overthinking your technique, whether that be on the toss or the swing, you know, and then it tends to, tends to break down. Um, And you gave, I thought, a good example of some more specific feedback. Hey, let's hit a serve to the player's backhand out wide or down the tee depending on what side you're on or maybe you're going to kick it that that is now talking about what we actually do want and it's not um you know that's something that you can have more control over so i just wanted to kind of circle back to some of the things you said because they were really good and i want to um, kind of discuss it with respect to the research that we see on errors and 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 double faulting to begin with um I think another thing that we could get into, Josh, here as well, and maybe these are sort of more global or thematic pieces to double faulting. But if you have just coming into a match, just a lack of confidence in your second serve, or I often will tell players that, you know, you need to establish a better relationship with your second serve. You don't like your second serve. You don't believe in it. Um, And that right away is going to, you know, when you're forced to hit it, it's going to lead to some anxiety there. Um, So I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, how people just generally perceive their second serve. If they have, you know, don't believe in it, don't have confidence in it, don't even like hitting it. They may even have a fear of hitting it. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I I definitely see that a lot. I think a lot of people are have a lot of doubt around their second serve. Uh, maybe a lot of negative emotions around it, whether it's uh, you know regarding them double faulting or whether it's regarding them hitting a really weak second serve that gets crushed. Um, what I also see, and it's something I try to tell players, is try to have a gauge for how often you're making your first serve. because if you watch the professional players, um, they are generally making somewhere between, let's just say 55 and 70% of their first. Now, to me, that means that they're not going for their biggest serve. Most of the time, most of them have something a little bit bigger that they're capable of hitting that they might pull out every so often if they're going for an ACE or they're looking for an unreturned serve. um, But when they're really trying to add, you know, put a little bit extra on it, but they're making a serve, they're hitting a first serve that they can make the vast majority of the time where at the club level, I, I, from my experience, that that first serve rate is a lot lower, which means that players end up relying on their second serve a lot more. Um, and I, there's a great quote, I believe it's by Pete Sampras. You could maybe maybe fact check me on this. That you're only as good as your second serve. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. That um, in all levels of tennis, um, you are to a certain extent expected to hold serve. That's why they call it holding serve because it's it is you know you're essentially your Expectation to win that game when when you're serving, you have the advantage. Where if you're hitting mostly second serves because you're making forty percent, forty-five percent of your first serves, and most of the points are actually starting with your second serve, then you're starting off at a disadvantage. Where even many of the best players in the world, most of the best players in the world, are winning less than fifty percent of their second serves points. So. To me, it's partly a strategic issue, where players at the, you know, at, at even the college levels or at the club levels, are going for for serves that are often too big and that they can't make it a high enough rate to justify, um, which makes them rely on that second serve too much and ends up putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Where at times, I think there are certain circumstances where it makes more sense to maybe take a little bit off that first serve and to increase that first serve percentage so that you don't have to rely on that second serve as much. Um, I, you know, that that I'm not saying not to be aggressive, not to go for your shots, but there's, I think there's a time and a place where, you know, you, sometimes I see players will go for that same serve over and over again, and they keep missing it. And maybe there's an adjustment that can be made. Maybe you add a little more spin. Maybe you take something off it. Maybe you try a different type of serve, whatever it may be. And we were talking off air a little bit about this, but one suggestion I often make, um, and I know other coaches have made this before, but I think this also leads to an interesting philosophical debate, you could say, um, is that if a player double faults, I always think it's best to take something off it on that following point on that following serve. So you double fault and then your next first serve, you should aim to get it. in. And, uh, um, you know, maybe that means you hit a second serve for your first serve. Maybe that means you take a little bit off it or add a little bit of spin. Um, But to me, the last thing that you want to do after hitting a first serve after, after hitting a double fault is to have to hit another second serve on that next point. Um, And to me, that's one of the reasons why players, you often see players, you know, at the 3-0, 3-5, 4-0 level, especially, um, where one double fault can turn into two or three rather quickly because maybe they don't make that adjustment when they could and they could get that next point started with something a little bit less aggressive, um, especially because after the double fault on that next serve, especially on the next second serve, you're probably going to be feeling more pressure or more anxiety to hit that serve. Um, So, again, this isn't saying not to go for our shots or not to be aggressive on the serve because it's a chance to get the point started in the way that we want to and a chance to be aggressive. However, I I think there's a time and a place and you want to decide when to best use your tools rather than feeling like you want to hit the most aggressive first serve all the time.
0: I want to go back to your point about, um, you know, one strategy here is to increase first serve percentage. Um, you know, let's say you are that player that has a forty percent first serve percentage. Um, you're just you're mentally putting yourself in this pressure situation a lot, and that's going to weigh on you as you go throughout the match. So your, you know, coping resources are going to be depleted just because you're constantly putting yourself in a position of a must make serve. And so I think it's a, it's a great point, Josh, that you made there. Um, working on that first serve percentage and whatever that, you know, means, because with serving can be a lot of different things. It could be improving toss accuracy. It could be improving, improving, um, you know, the amount of spin that you use, your accuracy. It could be adding more, um, more, just more spin, um, whatever that is, right? There are a lot of different things somebody might use to increase first serve percentage. And it's certainly worth working with a coach uh, to figure that out. Yeah, and maybe you, you don't hit the big flat bomb down the tee every single time that you, you go for it. Um, you know, with respect to how one approaches double faults, I think this one is more situational, more individualized uh, because some players are, pretty good at just blowing it off. It's just a double fault. Um, and others are not, right? Uh, you know, so like with an Alexander Zverev, I think your 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 advice is spot on. Um, but for, say, a Roger Federer or somebody who has that much confidence in their serve, um, maybe it's, maybe for them, their, their gauge is going to be more on first serve percentage rather than double faults as to what to do with that that first serve. Right. So I think that one depends. And I think there was an interesting concept in some of the research talking about double faulting under pressure, this concept of error amnesia. right. Can you forget it? And I think certain players can, and then certain players struggle. So the players who struggle, I think it's a great strategy. All right. Let's do, let's add more spin. Let's hit a second serve for a first serve and and that, that type of thing um the Pete Sampras quote or you know your your game is only as good as your second serve i think is very true and he had one of the greatest second serves of all time you know and that certainly made a difference for his career um but i think when we start to look at improving the serve another maybe global theme here is this idea of error amnesia how do we do things between The second you know, the missed second serve in the next point. Yep. So that it's not becoming a pattern or a trend in our mind. Because as soon as that happens, right, then we get into that, you know, the where that last point starts to bleed into the next one and then the next one, right? And the whole situation gets exacerbated. Um, so you know, we have talked a lot on this podcast about between point routines. That's certainly a strategy, taking more time, going to your yellow light routine there, adding maybe another five or six seconds to what you're doing doing between points. Um, some other uh, interventions, and it, there's a whole bunch here, but I'll just go through a couple before I'll let you kind of chime in, Josh. But even looking at your your self-talk, you know, motivational self-talk has had a positive impact on correcting errors like double faults. And so um, it can, you know, increase your self-confidence. It can reduce anxiety. So learning to use specific phrases after a double fault may help you reset, have that error amnesia, and then perhaps just regain and build some confidence and belief in, in going into the next one. What are some other things that, you know, um you think of when helping people whether it's to increase for a serve percentage or deal with the double fault
1: yeah um i would go back to a theme or i guess it's more of a mindset that, that we've talked about a lot um and and pro players certainly reference it a lot and it's this concept of playing one point at a time um which i think is pivotal here when thinking about double faulting because Really, whatever happened in that last point does not need to impact the next point. It often does. We often see the impact that ends up happening, but we want to have the mindset of being able to put things behind us, of resetting um, and not letting you know, whatever just happened, particularly if it's negative, mm-hmm. carry into that next point and drag us down and maybe distract us from what we need to do next. Uh, but no, I, I think you bring up a lot of good uh, good points here, Brian. In terms of um, adding a bit of time to that in between point routine, uh, particularly after double fault, um, you know, thinking of it as a yellow light or red light routine, as we've we've spoken about, um, where this is not just something that you want to do, the, you know, a, a normal routine that you use in between points is maybe you know a, a green light, and then for certain situations right. you would, would add in this additional time uh, or maybe it's, you know, certain phrases, certain self-talk um, could be also certain breathing routines that you've practiced in terms of res- resetting and in terms of sort of centering your body. Um, and, and also the, this mindset of, of staying in the present moment, right? Being able to stay focused on what's happening now and, not think about what just happened 15 seconds ago when that um, you know, when, when the serve went long or or whatever happened, Um, but being able to stay in the present moment, using the breath as a tool to get back into the present moment, which is often part of an effective routine. um, And, you know, and, and then I, I would, I would also add awareness, right. And we talked about first serve percentage and, you know, to me that, that if you're playing a match, you know, two out of three set match, it's multiple hours, two, three hours long. You're, you know, you're tired. You're, there's a lot of emotions. There's ups and downs, but trying to be aware and have a gauge of what's going on in the match in terms of your serve, right. Or are you making, are you being effective with your first serve in terms of, you know, winning some free points in terms of starting off the point um, to your advantage, Or has it not been as effective? Have you? How many times have you double faulted? What is your first serve percentage? So having, again, I'm not saying to keep track of these things exactly, but having a rough idea um, of these things and being aware of them can lead to the types of adjustments that you might decide to make during a match, um, or you know, or some of the, um, yeah, or, or or some of the decisions that you might want to make as well in terms of, okay, do I want to go for a bigger first serve here and go for it? Because I've seen that when I, you know, over the last set, set and a half, when I've gone for a bigger serve to the forehand, it's really paid dividends. Or do I want to, you know, maybe try to increase my likelihood of making this serve by adding a little bit of spin, taking a little bit of the pace off. So to me, that also starts with that awareness piece of noticing the opponent, of noticing the dynamics of the match in order to make that decision.
0: I think to build on the awareness piece, right? So you mentioned breathing. If you're not doing proper breathing, um, you're not going to have any awareness. Your brain will get turned off by all the anxiety that you're feeling. So the breathing, I think, is really key between points. I think the other thing you can bring awareness to is how are you feeling? Are you feeling muscle tension? need to get that out too. And, you know, the breathing can help with that, but certainly bouncing up and down, shaking out your arm, trying to loosen, you know, consciously loosen up your muscles and your body so that you can be more fluid, um, and really accelerate your racket head through the ball. Um, we've also talked on this podcast about what to do, um, you know, after making a mistake between points. And one of those things that we have suggested is um visualizing the correction so when you you know you hit a double fault quickly just take a second to replay the perfect second serve in your mind instead of maybe talking about it use images as a means of learning we typically learn very well through images and images communicate a lot more information than words do uh, in a, in a shorter amount of time. So that may be able to give you that mental rehearsal that you need for, for the next time, uh, that comes up. Um, there were a couple of other, uh, things I saw in the research that I thought were interesting. Um, one is, uh, something I had never heard of Josh and I've never tried it, but I thought it might be interesting to like throw it out there. Um, and it was about let's say you're a right handed player. It was it involved a left hand hand grip task. And so the idea was that if you're feeling some sort of like um, anxiety and feel like maybe you're getting too analytical about the whole situation um, by gripping the ball, squeezing the ball for about 10 seconds can essentially distract you from whatever's going on out there, right? So it engages your left hemisphere in your brain and it kind of distracts it from doing what it would normally be doing in terms of analyzing what's, what's happening. And I think a lot of the things that we're talking about here with the between point routine um, serve a similar function. You know, you were mentioning like uh, when we were talking earlier, you know, bounce hit is kind of the same thing, right? We're occupying that prefrontal cortex with some other task so that not, we're not worried about other things. And I think the, so they showed in this study that people who did this left hand grip exercise were far more accurate in serving tasks than, than others. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So that could be something that people try. Maybe as uh, a physical task that just gets you focused on something else. Um, one thing that I've done a lot um, with some players, and I've noticed this has this helped my first serve percentage, is um, this is based on a theory called quiet eye theory, which essentially states that elite athletes or better performers, let's say, take a task like putting. So when they're looking at the ball, their gaze on the ball is actually a few milliseconds longer than people who don't putt as well. Now, in tennis, this doesn't always come down to watching the ball, but there have been studies about people who keep their head in the contact zone on ground strokes, so they keep the head fixed there, as opposed to people who are moving their head as they're hitting the ball. So people who keep their heads fixated on the contact zone, so like a Federer, um, even an adult, his eyes may not always be on the ball exactly the way Federer's are, um, but his head is, is, is fixed, doesn't move. Now, that's hard to do, right? I mean, tennis were moving all the time. but um, And so this can be applied to even serving. Again, this is a little more controllable. But if you can keep your eyes on the back of the ball as you're looking up just a little bit longer than you normally would, so be more conscious on that you'll, I think you'll notice uh, an uptick in your first serve percentage and even your second serve percentage. So it's a great way to uh, improve that. And I think the last thing I would talk about, Josh, and it just gets back to, you know, your relationship with your second serve, right? Life's all about relationships. We got to have a better relationship with our second serve. And this might sound funny to somebody who doesn't feel this way, but I'll tell people for every second serve, just say, I love my second serve. I have a great second serve. And just start to use self-talk. Uh, even if it, you don't believe it right away, hey, you're saying something that's more productive. Um, and I tried this on my, on my own. And what I noticed is that I actually really did start to love my second serve. It became in some ways more effective than my first. Because like, I noticed the certain players that I was playing they had way more trouble with the second serve because I, ha- I hit a kind of a, a heavier kick and the first serve is not that. It's usually a little flatter, a little more slice. I haven't, they were having more trouble with that one than they were with the first serve. It's like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, and it was really all through that self-talk and me changing my relationship with how I thought about that serve. Um, so those are some, you know, just throwing that out there for people to give them some thoughts. On on what they can do with uh, you know first serve percentage improvement and and second serve uh, effectiveness.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to that last point that you made in terms of really embracing that second serve and saying that you love your second serve. And to me, it, it connects to that self belief part, where um, that 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 self belief part of the mental game of. Um, in terms of if you don't believe that there's a you can win on a given day, then you can't then you won't be able to. And until you embrace, you know, your second serve, um, it's a lot tougher to really make those improvements that you want to make on that serve, right? Um, As as you start to embrace it, you're going to want to start practicing it more, you're going to want to go for it more, you're going to want to do the things that are going to help lead to that serve getting better and better. So I, I really, that's a mindset that I really like, um, and I think you know, trying to almost flip, flip the script or flip the way that you're looking at it. Where if it's you know, probably for some of the people listening right now, their second serve is maybe something they've always struggled with. Maybe it's maybe it's double faulting. Maybe it hasn't been strong enough. Um, but but you know, trying out some of these things that we're saying in terms of those mindsets in terms of maybe some of these more strategy adjustments that we've talked about. Um, and, you know, also there's, there. I, I like to also emphasize that there's a lot more, there's a lot of different dimensions of the serve, right? There's the speed, there's the spin, there's the placement. So there's a, a lot of different ways to be aggressive with, with the serve. So, if you're almost stuck in a rut or you find that you know you you're not being as effective with the serve as you like, maybe you can pick one of those areas to try to improve upon. Maybe it's the placement where you go out and you, you know, take a card of balls and you're putting some cones on the court, trying to hit targets, or it's the spin and you're going through a some sort of service progression, trying to focus on, you know, brushing up more for a kick serve or really coming around the ball more just to slice the ball and uh, get the ball more out wide. Um, but taking, spending the time focused on one facet of the serve, um, whether it be the first serve or the second serve, rather than getting wrapped up in the, you know, emotions or past experiences that you've had with that serve um, can, can go a long way.
0: And I think you have to pair that up. Like, cause you know, doing that in practice is great building the repetition and the belief, but you also have to pair it up with, um, routines between points because you know for some the anxiety is still going to you know have an effect in in uh, in in matches um, and so you have to also build that effectiveness and confidence in, in match play. It, it reminds me of a story of um, a player I met probably when he was about fourteen, um, and he was just learning the kick surfs So I was just doing sort of the mental game stuff with him. He was working with another coach on kick serve and so we were collaborating a little bit and um so his mission when he went to play tournaments was just hit your kick serve and he would do that and he would double fault a ton just because he was learning it but the kid just kept doing it and it didn't really bother him so much i i was just always very impressed with this so Uh, That he would go out there and he'd be okay with missing the the kick serve because he knew it would eventually get better. Right. So, fast forward a few years later, uh, I'm working at Bryant University. He's on the team. What do you think his best shot is? It's his kick serve. It got him into the starting doubles lineup. You know, he wouldn't normally be a, a guy playing singles. But his kick serve was such a beast. And just because he had had that mindset, you know, a lot of other players would have just gone back to whatever felt comfortable just to get it in or just to to win points. But he, you know, had some losses in the short term that he wouldn't normally have. But he ended up creating this, you know, monster weapon because of that mentality. That's not easy to do. I'm not going to like say it, you know, here and say that that's an easy mindset to adopt. But if you can do that, if you can be okay with making some mistakes and matches in sort of service of improving something and maybe even creating a weapon, uh, it's a worthwhile investment to do that. Um, So I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, when we think about different means of approaching, this whole topic, there's a lot of different ways that we can come at it. Um, and, but I do think getting back to, you know, your, your up there, Josh, how we think about that serve is really key to where it's going to go in your game.
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I, I, I think that story really shines light on the fact that, you know, by almost not accepting that you're going to double fault, or accepting losing, but knowing that it is part of that process can lead to down the road. And sometimes it's years down the road, maybe it's weeks or months, whatever it may be, um, can, you know, leads to ultimately that becoming a strength. So I, I, I really love that. I think, um, you know, you, you, you hear these examples of Of athletes of pro athletes who are spending you know countless hours in the gym i mean you see it on the on the pro circuit where a a player will lose a match and they're right back on the practice court afterwards and you know that may not work for everybody um but I, i think it just shows that that focus on on a certain shot and maybe embracing it even when it's not your strength at the moment can lead to that becoming your strength so it can almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy in a, in a positive way. Um, The other thing I would say, and I think I, a point I'd like to emphasize, um, going back a little bit to our discussion, um, you know, regarding first serve percentages or regarding, you know, being aggressive or sort of that mindset about first and second serves is that it really is going to greatly vary from player to player. Some players really rely on getting, you know, getting free points or getting, um, you know, players um, to, to miss the return off of a really aggressive first serve. And for that type of player, they have to go for a bigger first serve in order to fulfill that game plan. Um, where for other sorts of players, their, their game may be less centered around their serve and maybe more based on, you know, their, their ground strokes or their volleys or other aspects of their game, where they may be more inclined to, Um, you know, to make an adjustment or to make a change in that type of situation. Um, And the other thing I would point out um, just to really underscore how important first and second serves are is I constantly, constantly, constantly am am hearing from players and I, you know, this is something I agree with with, within my own game, that their game really how well they play is largely correlated with how well they're serving on a given day that they, if they're serving well, the rest of their game tends to fall in line and it tends to be a good day and they tend to play well. It can lead to a lot of confidence. Um, it can set, you know, it sets up all their other shots and makes points easier essentially. Um, so, you know, by, by u- utilizing, I, I would say by really thinking about that time in between points um, can set us up for the, the start of each point. So we've talked about routines in the past, how a big portion of it is how we prepare for that next point, whether we're serving or returning. So if, if we are on the serving side, really thinking about, you know, having a clear idea about that preparation going into the point, about that generally, you know, that first two shots, you know, how, where we want to serve, what we want to set up after that serve, often a forehand or um, our favorite shot. But um, you know, the more that we can give ourselves the best possible chance to be in a good mindset for every chance we do have to serve, because it really is an opportunity whenever we serve, um, the better chance that we have to over to perform well overall, because so many players' games are are how well they're performing overall is correlated with how well they're serving so it um, just just wanted to make that point that that. Um, you know, the, the serve really is, I would say in many ways, the most important shot in tennis. Um, it's the only shot that's hit in every single point, um, not to say any other shots, not as important, but, you know, not particularly important, but the, the serve, I mean, at every level of the game, I would say, um, both in terms of the, imp- of, you know, who ends up winning the match and in terms of. A player's emotions at that moment. Um, it, it often has a lot to do with how they're serving and what you know what their serve, wh- where their serve is bringing them in terms of you know, is it setting up free points for them? Is it setting up short balls? Um, or on the other side of things, are they double faulting? Are they um, not being aggressive enough? Where their serve is being punished? Where it's not as much of a weapon. So I just think it, it really emphasizes how important this conversation from today is um, and why, you know, doing some of these things that we've talked about in today's episode and in past episodes, like the in-between points routine, like self-talk, like, you know, having some sort of, um, you know, mindfulness practice that you can implement on the court as well in terms of utilizing your breathing. So as Brian mentioned, so that you're, um, you know, you're, you're not getting anxious to the point where your brain essentially shuts off, but you can center yourself and get into the present moment. Um, so I know there's a lot, a lot there, but um, just wanted to underscore that, that point about serving.
0: Yeah. I think that's actually, a, it's a good wrap in a way, right? Cause serving is, it's a hugely important part of the game. Um, many people do derive their conference from how they're performing with the serve, whether they should or not, it, it happens. And I would say, like you said, Josh, most players do derive that, um, and yeah, it is a hugely important part of the game. And so we should spend time figuring out how to deal with it. You know, on a physical, technical, tactical, and certainly mental, emotional approaches to it, so that we can improve it. I think I. Uh, this was probably a good topic for another episode, but we could also argue that the return is if, if the serve is priority one return is probably priority one a, Yep. you know, and I think that that could be something uh, that we could explore in a, in a future episode. So I thought this was a great, great conversation. Uh, so for more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. Uh, and thank you for listening. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at tennis podcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag Tennis IQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our Instagram page. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.